Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to We Have a Take the What podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, and I am joined, as always, by Rose Harding. Hi, Rose. Hi, Tara. How are you doing? I am doing good. I love your bright new hair. For those who Thank can't you. see it, it's very, it's it's kind of like, you know, a purplish, pinkish rose color. Like if you were to go to the uh, rose garden right now where all the roses are beautifully in bloom, you would definitely find some roses that color. I, you know, it's funny. I do think that my stylist told me that this is uh, like a dusty rose, like a rose mauve. Well, there you so, go. You nailed it. <laughs> well, it's great to see you. And we have a very special guest joining us today. Excited to introduce you. Um, we are uh, talking today with Bruce Poinsett. He is a writer and community organizer based in the Portland metro area. And he's also the host of the Bruce Poinsett show, which you can hear on Numbers FM, or you can also find it on his YouTube channel. Hi, Bruce. Welcome to the show. Hey, Tara. Hey, Rose. Thank you for having me. We are, I, I'm, I've been looking forward to this all week because um, I won't try, I won't tell the long story of the Vanderpump journey, but I've been spending a lot of time lately on Bravo media, which is very different from Blazer media. And so I've been a little bit out of touch with what's going on in the NBA and uh, just the Blazers in general. And so I had to like dip back into basketball media and I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I I need to talk to somebody about this. And with your journalism and media background, I'm really excited to kind of like dive into what's going on right now and uh, the sources that we, that we follow or don't follow. So that's what we're going to do today. But you want to get us started with our icebreaker? Yeah, I do. I just want to say, I think it's really funny that in the off season so far, everything that we've done on this podcast more or less revolves around what's happening on Vanderpump Rules. <laughs> I mean, it's a cultural moment for some of us, <laughs> but it's over now. Um, icebreaker today. So we, Tara and I, we, we checked back in on the finals like a couple of weeks ago, but I want to check back in with this group. Who are you rooting for in the finals and how do you feel about it? Tara, I want to start with you because you you recently told me that you're now watching the finals, even though I think the last time we recorded, you were like, I look at the scores and I would like to know how this happened, how now you're suddenly watching the finals. Well, it was kind of driving me crazy because I couldn't watch because I don't I have I just have do streaming and I couldn't find it. And so I went old school and I got an antenna. And so now I can watch live sports, at least the ones that are on some of the major networks. And so like before it was like, I could, like I had to work like really hard to find it and now it's easy. So uh, I've definitely started watching and I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for the nuggets. And I, the way I feel about that is not great because I've been like a, a faithful nugget basher for many, many years, but I'm going to tradition. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm also, I decided that I'm going to actually take partial credit for the nuggets success because those two years that the nuggets lost out on making the playoffs um, at the last game of the season, I made so much fun of them for that. And I gave all my friends who are nuggets fans, like the worst time about that. And the whole time I was doing it, I knew I was like, I'm going to pay for this. I'm going to pay for this. I'm going to pay for this. So I've, I've decided to say I'm. it's paying off in the hard work that the Nuggets have just been. They've kept grinding. They didn't change a whole lot. They just kept going and they made it to the finals. And they're actually also like really fun to watch. <laughs> so I'm feeling 
okay about it better than I thought I would. All right. That, that's, um, I mean, that's as good as you can hope for, right? Because by the time you get down to two teams, you might be looking at like, you know, something that's miserable versus something that's miserable. And you just kind of got to like choose a path to enjoy them or not or root against them both and just root for chaos. That's a thing. That's a, that's a, that's a position. Bruce, how about you? Yeah. So one time I appreciate that because I'm very much in the, I'm rooting for Miami. It's not going well, obviously. <laughs> probably probably done tomorrow. But I've also, I don't know, I've been, maybe this is petty, but I've just been, I've been bothered by the embrace, like not during the finals, but like, feels like over these last two years of like some Portland fans with the Nuggets, just because of that same history of like, I remember 2019, actually even before 2019, I remember Nurk's first game against them, you know, the have a nice summer game like that. That holds a special place in my heart. You know, 2019, obviously. 2021 playoffs that hurt, <laughs> hurt a lot. But it's that thing where especially with Jokic, who's you know obviously a transcendent player and you have great players. But when they torture your team specifically, you don't just like run to them yet. Give it at least give it a few years, make it, you know, you got to have some time. So I'm finally getting to that place where I'm like, I guess I guess I got to accept this. I like I, I wanted to not believe in the Nuggets going into the playoffs. I was like, just telling people, look, they got to show me, got to show me. And they've been showing me. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. I, I root for Miami. I, I I hope a miracle can happen, but uh, no, the Nuggets just like I, I have this old shirt with you know that uh, what's the slogan? It's like hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, you know. And it's like the Nuggets are talented and they play as hard as everyone. It's just like, yeah, this is real. Yeah, <laughs> I think that is a that is a that is a very reasonable position to have as a blazer fan i you know like when they're like well okay so divisions don't matter as much as they used to matter but like you know when they're in your division it's like hard to root for a division rival like like at at your core you're like but i hate you (laughs) (laughs) um and and we we used to be able to at least vote root for will barton yeah totally. now we don't even have that anymore so that was kind of hard also, the idea that they like they're gonna win it all the year after they got rid of Will Barton, like. <laughs> so here's the thing that I feel about Jokic. I I've been thinking about this a long time because now all of a sudden the media is like, oh yeah, we're finally paying attention to this player who's been a god for years, but he was so uninteresting we weren't interested in covering him. And now that there's no other like, you know, LeBron is gone. Like all these guys that they were liking to cover over a guy like Jokic are gone. They're forced to cover him. And they're like, oh, wow, he's a pretty amazing player. So I feel like I have sent my child, the Portland Trailblazers, to the same preschool as the Denver Nuggets for a very long time. I have seen their warts. I know what kind of kids that they were. I know who acted up. I know like what they're the things that I was like, ooh, that's going to be a problem if your mom doesn't step in and fix that. Like, I have examined them a lot because they've been at the same preschool as my kid for years. And what I'm finally seeing is Jokic, who I like, I which, by the way, like, Tara knows this. I used to make a lot of funny comparisons about Jokic being a giant baby man because he has, like, a baby, like, he has, like, a buzzed haircut 
like a buzzed head and he's like you know how everybody's like oh he's fit but he's flabby like like he just has like kind of a childlike body but he's seven feet tall and when he gets tired like i swear he like tugs on his shirt and like his his like jersey and he like p- like t- touches his ears yeah like, it's that's like pulling tired, his ears the that's tired like... baby attitude like any parent will like look at that and be like oh that's a tired child and that kid's gonna like be like no i don't need a nap but that kid's also gonna pass out in his car seat on the ride home so anyway, he has some very like baby like qualities to me, which is where I, I come to this like metaphor about my child going to the same preschool as the Nuggets. But I feel like I'm looking at Jokic and I'm like, oh, look, his parents, they worked it out. Good for them. Like this kid that I thought was a little bit problematic. Oh, good for you. Like, so I can like kind of root for him as like a kid who grew up with my kid. But it doesn't mean that I liked him <laughs> when our kids were in preschool together. But I'm glad that they've like, I don't know, found their way out of their problems that I didn't like back then. And I'll just see them for what they are is like, we're, our kids don't go to the same school anymore. And good for you. I'm glad your life is good. I love the mental gymnastics that we had to put our minds through in order to accept the fact that this team that's so good is probably going to win the championship. I will say, though, if I were choosing individual players or people to root for it would be much easier for me to get on board with the heat because there's so many more likable things about the heat to me as like like individual players and like Spolstra is there and he's from Portland and like I don't know like there's just like there's something really likable about Jimmy Butler when he's not kicking your ass like <laughs> I, you know like so or like, his for teammates in, yeah totally so like <laughs> for like individual guys like i i totally get the heat i also have like a special place in my heart for kyle lowry i think his kids are super cute and i think that he's kind of like underrated because people like don't like they think that he looks unimpressive but he is absolutely a championship piece because we know he already you know he has a ring like he's he's been good for miami and what he's supposed to do like i don't know i have a special place in my heart for kyle lowry not so much on oh. for for me. <laughs> okay. okay, well that's okay. We don't have to like the same guys, right? There's there's a lot of players, and we can all have different feelings. I was thinking about how um, if I was gonna, I was actually thinking about this for icebreaker, and I was like, this is way too complicated. But if anybody wants to weigh in, and I feel free. But I was thinking like, okay, if you were uh, pretend you're an NBA player and it's free agency, which team would you want to sign with? And I was shocked as I was going through this in my mind to find out that I think I would go with veterans minimum for one year to Miami just to learn how they do it. Like that is not my ethos at all is the just like the hard charging, you know, weigh in and culture like that so does not speak to me. But I would be fascinated to participate in it and learn how it works and then I would go to some other team, me with my, you know, fantastic MBA free agent ability to choose where I where I went. But I was just thinking it would be interesting to go there for like a year if you were a player to learn what that culture is all about. That's, an imagine, inter- that's interesting. I was just going to say, I think, you know, one with Miami, just uh, to know like all you know, old coaches, I remember all love Miami just because of the emphasis on conditioning. And, you know, you know, when you talk about just being a free agent where it sounds at least like in all these interviews, there's an allusion to either 
you were either scared off by that or you embrace it, right? So like Jimmy's the perfect example. But yeah, just the ability to go there, you know, you have this almost militaristic discipline, but like there is a value as far as like training you to win, training the mentality. You know, it's not a coincidence that you have seven guys who went undrafted who, you know, whether Miami pays them next year, which I don't think that's mathematically possible, they through their stint, they are going to be set <laughs> just by going through this program. And like that is wild. And also Spo, like, I just love this. He had a quote about, you know, I uh says like he empowers players to their strengths and protects them from their weaknesses, something like that. And it's like, I appreciate that in a coach, someone who's like literally coaches all 15 guys, you know, because it's again, it's not like it seems like something that would just make sense. You know, injuries happen. You should probably do that. A lot of coaches don't. Yeah, Spolster is so interesting to me because he's, you know, I think was it he got his start as a video coordinator, right? Mm -hmm. And like he was a coach at, at the University of Portland for a while. Um or maybe he just played there. I don't remember now. Um, but, you know, he's from he's from Jesuit. He went to high school like 10 minutes from my house. And um, I just think it's really interesting that Miami, like this, like kind of like this dynasty, like Pat Riley organization. Like just groomed a guy from like the ground up and now he's their head coach and he's just like stuck it out there. And I. I don't know. It really speaks to that culture and not being necessarily just about players, but also about like, you know, staff and organization. And I think you're right. Going there for one year would be very, very interesting. And also like it, like think about like the, like the way that players are perceived after they have success in a place like Miami, like the whole like narrative of their career is set and people are going to be far more interested in you than if they were interested in a guy who was successful in say Orlando, you know, just mm -hmm. down the road mm -hmm. Um, it, it just, it just, it just speaks different of you. And like narrative is like, it's weird how narrative follows, follow guys around like for sometimes your whole career. Mm -hmm. Well, according to the internet, da Damian Lord is going to go play for Miami and return for Tyler hero. So apparently that's our new, that's wow. going to be our new reality in the next couple right. weeks. That's right. It's like Tyler Harrow and. A 2012 Chevy Silverado with 200,000 city miles on it, and Miami fans are not into it because it's too much. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Some of the trades, I'm so annoyed at the people who are proposing trades for Dame. And you watch like other fan bases be like, no way, he's not worth that. I'm like, are you crazy? <laughs> there are other people as good as that guy, and there's nobody else as good as Damian Lillard and what he does. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. That Chevy Silverado, you're gonna have to throw that in plus some. <laughs> and this isn't this isn't the sixties and trading Bill Russell for or the rights to Bill Russell for the ice capades. Can't do <laughs> yeah. that. Not doing I that mean, anymore. <laughs> who was it that recently traded for a coach? Was it that how they got Doc to Philly? I think it's how they they got Doc to the Clippers doing that. Oh, okay, they, yeah. I didn't know that coaches could be traded like that though, and until that happened, I was like, mm -hmm. oh. We can trade coaches because I would be interested in maybe trading some coaches. Like, why do we just give why do we just give organizations the right to interview our coaches? Why don't we trade them for something? 
I, I want to look up how that happens because I can't quite in my, I know that it's possible. I know that there was a, a trade involved, but I just can't, I don't understand how it worked. Like, what did they, did they trade him for another coach? Do you remember Bruce? I don't, I don't think it was another coach. I think it, I think it was picks maybe like I'll have future. to look it up. Cause that's been like, what? Yeah, maybe no, it's Rose, just I... for head coaches. Not for know. assistants. Cause I'm saying like people like want to interview everyone's assistants all the time. I'm like, why aren't we trading these guys instead of just letting them walk for free? But maybe I just don't know how it works. I mean, not maybe. I definitely don't know how it works <laughs> <laughs> to trade coaches. But I'm just saying, like, we could have we could have gotten some value out of our assistants before they left. Well, we'll figure that out in a in a future episode. Um, <laughs> but right now, let's pivot and get to learn Bruce a little bit more. So, Bruce, the the you know the the basic question we ask the people when they come on for the first time is, how did you get into basketball and how did you get into the Blazers? What's your story? Yeah, so it's like I remember obviously being interested in basketball from like you know very early in terms of like just like consciousness. So you know I was probably like two or three when the Blazers were you know in that Clyde Drexler Fab Five times. So obviously I wasn't you know plugged in like that, but I knew of it. I remember the Blazers versus Bulls video game for Super Nintendo. You know I remember going to the Coliseum for some games like way back when, but actually like my favorite player, cause mainly cause I had like a very early growth spurt. So I just like towered over everyone. So Shaq was my favorite player. So I like, you know, I loved Orlando. I was sad watching them get swept by the Rockets. And then he went to the Lakers. So I became a Laker fan, which was interesting because, you know, I remember being at like a, I'll say it's like a Mother's Day party or something during the infamous Game 7 in 2000 and being this little kid rooting for the Lakers in a room full of Blazer fans, some intoxicated. And that was a that was a roller coaster. That was a bit uncomfortable <laughs> at some points. <laughs> I mean, it, it was uncomfortable for about three quarter, three quarters and a few minutes. And then it got. You know. I, I mean, I was a bit obnoxious that day, but but it was a good time. That said, you know, uh, eventually I kind of, you know, Shaq, Shaq went to Miami, rode there. Shaq went to Phoenix. Things kind of started tailing off and, you know, the Blazers. I was looking for like a new big man. I remember the, the Greg Oden time I, you know, played high school basketball, so I you know, followed all like the rivals coverage and, you know, all the recruiting sites. So, you know, before you were watching highlight tapes of players, just, you know, you're reading about Odin, Kevin Durant, OJ. I remember when OJ Mayo was for sure the next LeBron. I, I remember this time <laughs> vividly. So, you know, the Blazers drafted Odin. They also had Brand. They had also got Brandon Roy the year earlier, which kind of brought me back a little bit just because like I really loved Roy as a player so I'd say around that time I just got really back into just the Blazers and I've kind of been a Blazers person since then like fully you know I definitely have a bunch of people who remember me from back in the day it's like I remember when you were rooting for Shaq and I still hold something against that mostly because of that game seven but it is what it is uh so yeah you know I love basketball like I said I had 
was big early. I remember even uh, we had an assignment, I want to say in like seventh grade, where, you know, you're supposed to like talk about your future and what you see. And of course, I'm a kid. I'm thinking it's going to be basketball. I'm going to be 6'8". I'm going to go to the NBA. It's all going to be wonderful. Cruel irony. My classmate actually lived that dream. <laughs> so we talked about the heat earlier. So Kevin Love plays on there. I was playing with him. Actually, if I, if I shift over like this, you might see the state championship in the background. Oh, but... <laughs> you went to you guys were on the same team in high school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you wouldn't know because, like, I for some reason, again, the growth spurt thing. I thought I was going to be a center for a long time until I realized I wasn't. <laughs> so you know, I was playing. I spent a lot of time on the bench. Let's just let's just put it that way. <laughs> You know, again, because I was playing with an actual NBA player. But, uh, yeah, it's just like, I think that really, really one inspired just, uh, well, not inspired, but it's just like, you know, feel the love for the game from a playing standpoint, from a watching standpoint. Also, just wanted to shout, you know, shout you out, Tara, because it's one of the things I like really appreciate about following you and like, you know, not having, we talked about this offline as far as, you know, just this focus on not being just negative takes and living in misery, which is <laughs> where these <laughs> a lot of sports content is. And one, just I don't I don't remember watching so many people appreciate Josh Hart in real time. So I just appreciate that. But also getting to that rivals thing, because, you know, pro athletes are public figures and sometimes people put a lot of times people put a lot <laughs> onto that build up tear down it's just kind of a thing we do it reflexively so you know and I, I just noticed in talking with people like i feel like we don't put it together as far as just like how how uh that's the word i'm looking for just like treating people like they're not humans you know like obviously part of you part of getting paid these big contracts is dealing with what comes with media coverage but I think about it from a high school standpoint. So, you know, reading those preseason reviews on rivals and like the first year you make varsity and it's like, oh, the newcomer Bruce points that the coach says he has a nose for the ball. And you're like, yes. And then by the time, like time I left the team, it's like, so is a, uh, Bruce points said and so-and-so are not here this year. Their contributions will be replaced and being like, like it's one small sentence, but also being like, pissed off <laughs> from that again as like an inconsequential high schooler <laughs> so when i think about that magnified to like stephen a smith talking about you every day or skip bayless talking about you every day you're like well lebron should be able to take it no what the way people talk about lebron is crazy <laughs> like we don't put it in context we're like oh this is just normal we've we've been doing it for 15 years now so it's just like the thing and I see that trickle over to someone like Dane to you know any of these players and it's like do people realize what we're doing because I don't think it was like this 15 20 years ago so, so that, that was a long rant past the answer but yeah once upon a time I was very large <laughs> and I was like oh basketball and also went to early blazer games so just just to bring it back <laughs> 
I, that I did not put it together at all. I knew where you went to high school, but I did not put it together at all that you were in the same class. Did, did you guys get a lot of media coverage because because of Kevin Love? Because, you know, he was pretty well known in the state at oh, the yeah. time. What was that like? You know, it, and I think it was cool just for like opportunities of, you know, you get to travel on these tournaments during the school year. You we spent one Christmas in Florida, which was interesting, but you know, it's a, I don't know, it, you don't really think about it at the time mm -hmm. just because you're trying to, you're almost like you're enmeshed in it. So you're trying to, in my case, just like trying to get minutes, Yeah, you know, and also it with Kevin specifically, it was just interesting you know, you, you look at like the speculation around prospects and like, I remember at the time they were trying to say like Kevin and Kyle Singler were like neck and neck mm -hmm. and there's no shade to Kyle Singler, but they weren't uh -huh. like, <laughs> just watching that up close, watching, you know, doing off season workouts where you're around like, you know, college players, like, like I got, I had the privilege of working out a lot with Pooh Jetter and Jeremiah Dominguez, you know, back in the day and seeing before, like, you know, who would make an NBA roster be, you know, like a G League all-timer and seeing that in real time and being like, whoa, the, you know, but also then watching someone like Kevin step into these <laughs> and dominate like NBA pros or like uh, back in time when it was the D League guys. And it's like, okay, no, this is real. I, I don't feel as bad about myself. <laughs> like this is happening to everyone. So, you know, it was just, uh, is interesting, like I said, because this is the time before you're watching the highlight tapes and there's all this coverage. So it's mostly like you read about people, you see names, and then eventually like people go to college and you put a name to the face. Or, you know, if you play AAU, obviously you play all these people. But it was just, uh, yeah, it was an interesting, just an interesting experience that I kind of like, I think about it now. It's like, oh, okay, that that was bigger than what I thought it was or, mm -hmm. you know, but in the time, it's just like, honestly, like you look at a lot of these people with big names and you're like, okay, even, even if I may not win this, you know, it's, it's a, I don't know, it's like the tanking team that gets up when they play the Warriors or someone like all the time. Yeah. It really struck me when you talked about just like having one sentence written about you, like on rivals and, you know, like that's, that must, that must've been a big deal for you to like, see your name on that. Mm -hmm. Um, but then you have somebody like Kevin Love, who I remember the whole t state just going nuts when he decided to go to California for college and just mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, imagine being, you know, an 18 year old in that storm. That must've been, um, that must've been wild, uh, for him. And he, I was wondering what it might've been like for the guys around him too. Like if you guys got caught up in any of that. Yeah, I wouldn't say, not for me, I wouldn't say I got caught up in it just because, again, I, I wasn't at that level. But is it's interesting in terms of, uh, like, we had a lot of, a lot of guys, like, cycle out of the program in a way. Like, you know, it's like we have this, you know, super team conversation in the NBA now. But you look at high school, it's like there's certain, you know, talk about Jesuit earlier, you know, Jeff back when Jeff was or back when it was 5A and Jeff was uh, or back when 5A was the top thing and Jeff mm -hmm. was competing against everyone 
you know, South Medford, LO, especially during those years with Kevin. And I remember like my freshman year, there's a bunch of guys who went on to play like D1 or D2 ball who transferred out because of just we our coach at the time was have a dirtbag. So anyways, like it's this weird thing where in most schools where you have the opportunity, you're bringing in a guy who's could be, you know, an NBA player at that time. People are thinking, never mind who he became. And you already have these guys who, again, are set on the college track. Like this was supposed to be like a dynasty for years and years and years to come. But because of just like all of the other weird stuff that happens at LO, they, you know, they left and like, no, we're not going to be a part of this. And no one, like Kevin was good enough so that it didn't matter and the team was still competitive. Obviously, won the state title, but it's just a lot of the politics of it, you know, I guess is the other part where it's not so much the media coverage as it is the the politics around high school basketball, you know, youth sports is also, you know, very dispiriting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like for as annoying as like that sentence and that coverage or whatever was, it's more so just like when I think about the stories my parents would come home and talk about just like the conversations in the stands. When I think about how certain teammates of mine were treated during that time that still like sticks with me in just a really bad way. You know, that's really the stuff that stays. So like all the, and obviously again, the media coverage, the attention definitely fueled a lot of sort of like that atmosphere. There's no way it didn't, but you just kind of get, I don't know, you're more immersed in that, like, immediate politics around you. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. One of the things that Rose and I, that's consistently been of interest to us as we learn more about players and where they came from and the road that they traveled to get to where they are, is we're always, like, really interested in that whole high school to college transition and, you know, just, like, Um, you know, what that must be like to be like a 17 year old going through all of that. And like last, the last episode, we talked about Trendon Watford and Trendon's team, I think won state like three years in a row and just like how, you know, and he was like Mr. Uh, Alabama uh, basketball for like two full years um, for junior and senior year. And it's, it's just always interesting to me, like what, we don't talk as so much about, we talk about high school, high school experience in terms of like, how ready are you going to be for the NBA? But I like to sometimes pause and just like, kind of think about what was that like, just like as a person <laughs> when it's kind of like, you know, with, with college, there's like a path to, you know, a little, there's more of a little bit, def- more of a little bit defined path from college to the NBA or now like G league or wherever into the NBA. But that whole like high school world is just, very intriguing. And I, I'm always wanting to know more about that. You know, what was funny about that time was, uh, again, because, you know, Kevin was on a track for, you know, high D level or high uh, D1 NBA. So like his trainer was working with our team during, you know, like conditioning and all that stuff. So we got, it's one of the benefits of having a player at that level is you get access to like Hey, this is the guy that, you know, works with the stars or the coach of the stars type thing. You get these NBA level workouts and conditioning plans and stuff. So, you know, again, it's like a flip side of 
one you're just like you feel like obviously like you're in the shadow of this person but also just like the access and like perspective you get and just opportunities to build your game in different ways i think you know is yeah it also sticks one of the things that we that i that i remember reading about um when i was um researching matisse Thibault, Thibault um was that he was really like first discovered in high school for UW because his coach went to scout Zach Levine and um you know he was playing against Zach Levine because they're both from like Washington but I think about it it's, it's really interesting to think about the guys who maybe like because of that access you're talking about or like playing adjacent to a guy who is a super like on the superstar track or whatever um gets the opportunity to be scouted by somebody who didn't intend to scout them um and I don't think that necessarily happens all the time, but I know that it has happened. And like, so I was thinking about like when I went to high school, um, I went to Churchill High School. I went to, I graduated from South Eugene High School in Eugene, but I went to Churchill High School for two years. Um, and Jordan Kent went to Churchill High School with me. He's a year younger than me. And I remember like everybody being really excited about Jordan Kent playing basketball because um, his dad was the coach at the U, at the U of O at the time. Um but the, one of the things I think was really interesting is Jordan was like a really amazing track athlete. He like he was like he like set like state records that I think are still standing today in like long jump and triple jump and like he was an like and he was an amazing sprinter, and like he he did run track at the U of O, but like people didn't think of him as a track athlete first; they thought of him as a basketball athlete first because of his dad. And it makes me wonder if like his dad had been a track coach instead of a basketball coach, if his career might have looked very very differently because like. He was like a world class track athlete in high school. Like the like, like he he was he was incredible, um, and he was very good at basketball too. But like, I mean, I don't know know anything about his like desires or his like his what what he wanted for himself. But I know that like everybody assumed his default um, like route was going to be basketball. And when he actually when he went to play football, like when we were in college, when we were in college, he like just started playing football for um coach Bellotti like his junior year just because he was I think he got recruited because he's just super super fast mm -hmm. um that was really random too that felt like a like a left turn I was like oh you're gonna get drafted to the NFL this is a wild ride um mm -hmm. but also like you know he was still running track at that time and he was still an amazing tracker so I don't know I, it makes me wonder if like maybe the attention that was like that that was shined on him early on in his career because his dad was a basketball coach, like made his path a little bit different than it might have been had he not had that expectation about his career. Um, it's funny you say that because I remember with there's a time where like Kevin was more of a baseball prospect than he was a basketball prospect, but I think I imagine like around high school he made the choice of just like do this basketball thing but like you know those was from the you know middle school days and whatnot still remember that guy's like you know the pitcher uh because again it's a, gi a gigantic man or a gigantic kid who can throw the ball really hard <laughs> yeah but yeah i think so much of this is like circumstance i mean we talked about miami earlier even with the trend and wofford again going undrafted but when you find um, this isn't the cleanest uh, transition, but, you know, just uh, that's what I love about teams, and especially like coaches who do player development. 
where you just get uh, guys in certain situations where it may not work out on this team or that team or, you know, during the draft process, but you get in there and you see this person. Like I said, it's not the person you were looking for. Maybe it's not the person who came to the pre-draft workout who's like the, you know, the headline name, but then you find these people, you, you know, the same way, but it's just got Jabari. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting. I'll just say that. I kind of forgot about Kevin Love and bat and baseball, but I actually do remember now people talking about how he and Clay Thompson were on like yep. the same little league team in in like us we go. Yep. Yeah. No, my my friend still talks about it because because he, when people do these lists of like greatest Oregon players, and granted, like Clay played basketball and you know made big name in California, so. You know, it's fair, but a lot of guys remember again Clay from Little League, and they're like, "Why? Why don't we get to claim Clay too?" Like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> he still he still talks about Burkerville every now and again in interviews when he's asked about like Oregon, which I think is really funny. <laughs> I'm like, that's not even like a top ten burger here, but like, I guess when you were a kid, it probably was because that's like where you would go after like games and stuff. It was a top ten burger for a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's probably that's probably true. Also, it's like very. I feel like the vibe of Burgerville now is very different than it was like twenty years ago. I'll still stop at Burgerville if I see one. <laughs> I still always stop at the lap the last one going south, um, because like you know I go to Eugene, but there's not one in Eugene, so I'll stop in like Albany because they're always like this is the last Burgerville. I'm like, okay, fine, I'll stop. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, move on to our our next um, our next topic, and it, we're going to dive a little bit more into the media now. Bruce, you, we we talked about before uh, logging in um, about you. Uh, both of you went to the J School at uh, U of O, and you, of course, have have some experience uh, doing journalism and media. So I thought this would be a great time to just kind of like talk about like this eight of it right now especially with regards to sports and i don't know if you did you ever um cover sports was that ever a desire of yours or were you always uh thinking about doing you know a different kind of journalism or maybe a broader kind of journalism yeah i've done some like sports related stories here and there over time i think i applied to the paper at the university of oregon the daily emerald three times the I want to say the first two times actually no that they were all actually sports stories or sports related stories but i think the first two were kind of more straightforward didn't work out and then i did one like right after you know lebron and the decision which is more of a like it's sports but like political angle and that was the one that kind of like got me in i think that so i kind of like took on a i don't know i just was thinking to myself or approaching the time and saying, you know, like maybe sports coverage, like straightforward is probably not going to be my thing. Like I, I obviously enjoy talking about sports, analyzing, watching, but also it's kind of one of those things where you, I don't know, like you feel, I want to say like feel too close to it, but it's like, as I thought about it in retrospect, it's like, when I did this more, would I not like this as much as I do, you know? Like, so, you know, I, I say all that to say sometimes I do sports related things, but it's definitely I don't think it was ever going to be a big focus when I really got serious. It's just kind of like, hey, I, 
I have this in the toolbox if people are interested, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's interesting, you know, thinking about whether or not, um, would I still like this if I was covering it all, all the time? Because sometimes I look at some of the media out there, and I'm like, do you really like this anymore? <laughs> have you maybe been doing this too long and you don't really like it anymore? So the, then my next question is for both of you, like, how are you all feeling about, um, the coverage of Blazers and just like basketball in general. We've talked about this a little bit earlier in the year about just how like the narrowing of opportunities, like for like real or like regional sports networks and just like having less access, you know, through, you know, because of budget cuts and, you know, different things, but where, where are we feeling right now about um, how the Blazers are covered and how like the NBA at large is covered? So can I just say that the one hard, the one hard thing for me about being a Blazer fan is always that, like, unless someone is like their job is to, like they're on the Blazer beat, I feel like, like we're always like a side character in NBA journalism. Like, like I, there's very like Dame was like the first player that we had like for a long time that commanded like national attention and pe- like writers to come out and cover him. In like an in-depth and meaningful way because he like I think he did a good job of like carving out his like niche and like what kind of like what his brand was going to be in the NBA which is different than the kind of player you're going to be in the NBA which is weird but like your brand and who you are as a player are like not the same thing um but like I can't remember players like like players before Dame being covered in this way that was like we're here to talk about you as the main character, not like the way you fit in as a side character into this larger storyline that I really want to write about, which is the Celtics, the Lakers, the the Heat, the what like, and so like, I have like a very complicated relationship I think with national media because they've always treated us that way until there was reason like Dame to not, but they're going to go back to treating us that way, and I need to remember that because like I'm not that interested in like reading a lot of these people regularly I'll say even if I enjoy some of the articles that they do write that are that that, that are about my team like that's this I just think of it think of it as a very temporary situation when they write something like that's focused on the Blazers and not just like us as a side character like we're not we're not part of the Avengers maybe sometimes we get to be Doctor Strange but probably not like we're a side character we're gonna be like you know brought in when serves a larger story but it's not going to be like necessarily as fair to us as it is to the lebrons or the i don't know jason tatums of the world i I just kind of look at i feel like i sound like a broken record but i feel like blazers twitter is a hellscape (laughs) like i i don't know and part of it might just be this moment in time where it's kind of you know where the future of the franchise is going is, you know, a question. But like national media, to, to your point, Rose, about just uh yeah, the Blazers being a side character. I don't know, it's one of those things where it's just like I I just kind of like accept it. <laughs> like it's just this is what's gonna happen. Like it's it's nice that, you know, again, Dame gets a little more coverage than like you said, probably anyone or anyone the team has had since at least that, you know, early 2000s, late 90s. And even that was, uh, 
that was a time where it's like jailblazers coverage. Yeah, yeah. So not wasn't the was not the greatest uh, template <laughs> for how, and I think that also I when we talk about just like Dame discourse specifically, I feel like it's a thing that a lot of people are discounting, but that's another topic. Uh, yeah, national media, like Terry, you're saying, uh, just the economic situations, there's budget cuts, regional media is in flux at best. And people are kind of going to, you know, what is going to get the clicks? What's going to get the eyeballs? Cause that's the one thing you can go to. And it's, conflict it's tension you know it's the same kind of least common denominator stuff you know they'd see just doing newsroom coverage in general so you know we've seen the kind of like skip bailisification of sports media and like it's frustrating and it's 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 one thing for like the people who are you know they have their jobs and this is what they do but i think the thing that's kind of it's irked me a little bit where it's like, because that's all people are seeing, that's what people mimic. That's how people engage, just kind of like in general. And again, I, I always wonder, do people realize they're doing this or is it just kind of like a, you know, a reflex at this point? So, you know, right now, we're at, it's this weird cognitive dissonance where we're watching the Miami Heat in the finals. Half of their team, well, seven players, we're not drafted, but we are speculating <laughs> on, you know, if we throw this draft or we trade this draft pick, are we going to ruin the franchise forever? If we do this, are we going to ruin the franchise? It's like, isn't there going to be a draft next year? And the year after that, aren't, aren't players going to be available? Isn't it? <laughs> Couldn't we, I don't know, develop people? Aren't, aren't there options here? And then also with Damian Lillard, like the same way national media often discounts him. I think the thing that's kind of gone unsaid is just how, how a lot of people locally discount what he's done. Like, this was supposed to be a rebuild when LaMarcus left. Like, obviously, there are other players on the team, but like, the reason that didn't happen is because you had a transcendent player who people didn't realize at the time was a transcendent player <laughs> literally willing the team out of that. And it's like, that doesn't just happen. That doesn't just, I don't know, when people, talk to me about the prospects of what they do and they talk about uh, I love what Utah's doing or I love what OKC is doing I'm like what do they have in common oh yeah they haven't won anything that's right that's a great model why are we doing this <laughs> but that's like the conversation right now it's just speculation and misery and I get it but also it's again it's kind of distressing kind of frustrating and some of it just feels like do we see what's happening here you know and and also do we do we have to be miserable like if we never win a championship because the odds are it's super hard to win a championship so could we just do our best to enjoy what's ahead of us because there's all kinds of in my personal opinion there's all kinds of things to enjoy about an NBA season even if your team doesn't win at all would I love them to win a championship of course like I understand it it's not like I don't get that but how can we not find something to enjoy about the sport 
which is entertainment, which is entertaining. <laughs> I, don't know, I was, I think I told Rose this last time I was looking to somebody who I was listening to a, a national show where they were talking about the Celtics and about how they built this team and look what they got a bunch of trips to the Eastern conference finals. And I'm like, that sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> Right, <laughs> but that's not how they meant it. They were like, "And look what they got!" And I'm like, "Repeated trips to the Eastern Conference Finals. That 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 seems pretty good to me." Um, but it's there's so much like everybody has to like. I think part of it also is everybody feels like they have to have an opinion. Um, and one of the things that we talk about on on this podcast a lot is the our our extremely liberal use of the mute button, which does make Twitter less of a. <laughs> horrible place to be because you can mute all so much of that out which i have done so i'm like la 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 because um i've muted out a lot of the negative uh words and i keep going do not make me mute damian lillard (laughs) the the term damian lillard because so many people are putting him but like the other day i was like i might have to just mute the term damian lillard to not see your trades (laughs) your proposed Mm -hmm. trades anyway we love the mute button the the we we did a we did an icebreaker a few weeks ago that was like your favorite blocked terms on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> because that's just like it's like a it's a quality of life thing. Um, I I was I wanted to say I I really appreciate the way you were thinking about um you know like oh you're not gonna ruin your team with x y or z like it's like it's always like a doomsday scenario no matter what the scenario is the fan like that i think that's that's the media i don't know if the fans reflect that of the media or the media reflects that of the fans but either way that's the that's the dynamic that we're in right now and i always think about how like we always consider players and like as like immutable value when like let's be honest some players are more valuable in certain systems than others and some players are just are what better suited to a certain role or another role like I don't know like like some like when we so a good example to me is like when we took Gary Payton from the Warriors he was not what he was with the Warriors because the system wasn't the same he was he didn't bring the same value like not every player is like like contribution or value is like it's not it's not it's not static you know like different guys fit into different places better and to think that you're going to ruin your team with x y or z move is like really like an assumption like a like a a lot of assumptions based on what you think that player is or isn't and like how they fit into what your team is trying to do which i mean as fans i don't even think we even have a good grasp on necessarily what kind of thing they're trying to do so how do we know how good a fit a player is and how good they're going to be here other than the fact that we're like oh so-and-so is a great player I'm like, well, you know what? So and so, this other guy, what was his name? Uh, what's his name? Caleb, um, the guy on the Martin. heat. Oh, Caleb, Caleb Martin. Martin. Caleb Martin. I always want to call him Kenyon Martin, but that's not right. Uh, <laughs> Caleb Martin. Like, there was a bunch of people who didn't think that he was worth much, and look at him now. Like, it's just kind of, it's all based on a lot of assumptions that are like untested, and that's always so weird to me that people think it's a doomsday scenario when we really don't know like what ingredients we're cooking with over here or what dish they're trying to make. <laughs> I mean that I love that point just I always think back on you know we all have our our takes and our you know in these debates and whatnot and I just I look back on so with one friend in particular like that bubble season when the Blazers picked up Trevor Ariza and it was like wow a three 
an actual three and D small forward. This is nice. And, you know, it, it was temporary, but we got into a big debate when they made the trade for, uh, he plays for the Clippers now. Rodney Hood. It's, oh, uh, no, Norman no, Powell. Norman Powell. Uh, the other, Robert Covington. Robert Covington. <laughs> Jeez, how, how am I? Nick Batum. They all Nick play. Yeah, I know. Plays with one point. Right. <laughs> this is a good point. But, you know, because me and his friend, like, we kind of, you know, fall on the lines like, I'm the eye test guy. He's the analytics guy. And, you know, that all the tropes of that. Yeah. And he was trying to tell me, did you see Robert Covington's three point percentage? He's, this is going to be such a better fit than a reason. I was the whole time. Cause I part of why I'm saying this now is just in case he ever watches this. Cause I want to remind him every time that he was wrong <laughs> about that. But it's like, they're not the same player is not the same fit. You know, I, I like Rocco as a player, but it's not going to be the same thing. But if you're just looking at a piece of paper and saying, and also again, system Rocco was coming out of Houston playing with D'Antoni where he empowers everyone to shoot it's going to be different if you put that with any other coach, period. So, you know, like you said, like we're, we don't go to the practices. We're not right there, but everyone, we have to have a take. So we, we kind of like fall into these things and it's just, it's so much more to that. There's some of the stuff you can predict, like I did with Ariza and Roko, but you know, for the most part, we're just we're just kind of throwing it out there based on whatever you know perspective wherever we lie. So we um one of the things that uh that I wanted to do with y'all here today was to talk about the people who we do trust, um, who we do turn to for um for for the media, maybe people who are there in the gym or people who do do the um, the balance of the the eye test and the analytics and put them together in a way that like that makes sense. So um, let's spend a little time just sharing maybe some of uh, who it is that, that that we believe in that we trust for for our coverage. Uh, Bruce, do you want to start? Sure. So I, I, let me just preface this, and we talked about this before we hit record, where uh, going to the University of Oregon Journalism School, they used to have a class called InfoL, aka Information Gathering. And the basic idea is you make this like 120 page research paper, you annotate a bunch of sources. So the actual paper itself is like 10%. The rest is just, you know, annotations, citing sources, basically like, I watched this interview, this is who pays the company or this is who's funding the company that put out this interview. This is where their biases are. This is, you know, where they've had mistakes in the past or not. This is where they've got accolades and just going through that with, again, 90% of that paper. So I say that to say, you know, sifting through sources and being able to filter out everything, not accepting anything is like, this is a hundred percent credible. This is 0% credible. Like it's, everything is in a gray area and you have to kind of understand it in context. So that's kind of like how I, we talk about how this media system, especially where it's tension and arguments all the time. So it's like, I feel like I get blazer news by filtering through that. And there's some people I'd say, I think Sean Hyken comes to mind as someone who, you know, I'm not even sure if I follow him, but I have like the for you page on Twitter. So his updates come up all the time. 
but generally I found that to be pretty reliable myself where it's just like updates it's you know it's not uh yeah not all the just drowning in speculation he might have other other tweets that are but at least what what filters to me is generally good coverage so uh, i'll give him a shout out i i like sean too and for some of the same reasons as he doesn't editorialize as much as some of the other guys um and i appreciate he's like independent you know so he like he like does his own thing you subscribe to his newsletter like he you that's how you access a lot of his his writing and um independent people like as you were saying aren't funded by a big company with other vested interests and um i mean obviously he's retains his access to the team but you know as an independent journalist he can kind of like write what he wants without like somebody telling him you have to cover it this way you have to write this you have to farm these clicks like I remember one time he wrote an article toward the end of the season once it was clear the Blazers had like shut down Dame and he was like I didn't want to write about this loss so I didn't and he wrote something completely different when normally he covers every other game and I was like like I never felt closer to a journalist as a fan than in that moment where he was like I didn't feel like writing about this you don't want to read about it and I don't want to write about it so I wrote about something different and I'm like thank you like I know that somebody who worked for a big like like publication or organization could not have that freedom. He would the person would be forced to cover that game no matter how miserable it was to write about it and he just made the like the decision to be like, "Nope, this is my outfit and I'm not doing it." And I was like, "Nobody wants to read a recap of a game where the guys were tanking." <laughs> Thank you. Sean is definitely one of the sources that I uh, that I follow and and trust as well. And and one of the things I appreciate about his coverage too is he keeps his ear out for the things that are bubbling up that maybe like turn into something bigger or maybe rumors. And he'll like go and try to like you know follow up on them and and do the research that I don't you know know to do. You know he just came out with one. It was today or yesterday about okay here's what the actual trade scenarios for Damian Lillard are available, you know, while everybody's out, you know, has already like put it in the trade machine and said, okay, this works. He actually outlined, okay, here's what's reasonable to expect. And here's not. And so I like how he kind of keeps his ear to the things that are bubbling up and then we'll do the, do the research and address those so that, um, so that we can kind of know where it stands. All right. Well, I'll go next. One of the one of the people, although I'm a little mad at him this week, um, but one of the people that I trust for national news as well as uh, Damian Lillard, Lillard coverage is Chris Haynes. Um, I I have him on notification because again he has that that player access, and I think he's also a, a great storyteller. So you get very little from him that's without context. It might take a few tweets, or it might take a him talking about it like it it you know it might not fit into the 200 characters to give the context but because he's so used to telling stories and because he also has the access and the trust of many of the players um i trust him and i like to i like i like i like his stories and um i trust him he has a new podcast out that he does with mark stein and i'm not um haven't been as wild about 
Mark Stein just because he I, he feels it, really it's just probably a, a matter of like nerves <laughs> being on a podcast, which I can totally relate to. Um, and Chris Haynes has just like been doing it for a really long time. But I've started to uh, to to like them as a duo together more. They kind of complement each other. I don't have you guys ever listened to that? It's called This League Uncut. I, I haven't, but. I I listened to the one he did. He had a different podcast before yeah. that, didn't he? That's the yeah. one I listened to. I haven't listened to this new one. Yeah, he had one just by himself. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's one for me. Hey Rose, who? What about for you? Do you have uh anybody oh. that you trust that you look to? So here's the thing about that. <laughs> <laughs> I and I said this to you before when we were talking about doing this podcast. I got I. I get a little bit to who I trust um, by a process of elimination of who I don't trust. And it also, like, I think it relates to topic areas. So, like, for some some reporters, I very much trust on certain topic areas. And other ones I would trust in some context, but not others. And um, But I, 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 I'll say one of the best sources to me in, like, the modern NBA for NBA <clears throat> information is players. And now that we have greater access to players through social media, a lot of players talk a lot more to the public about themselves and about their team and their career. And the reason why I say that is because I think that players give great quotes that are often taken out of context by reporters. And so what I mean by going to the players is I mean that like when I see articles that are written about x y or z thing that happened that was inflammatory and everybody wants to click on it i uh, i like to go to like youtube or wherever to find the full video of where they gave that quote in a press conference because usually that quote says something different than what the the, the click article says um so i guess maybe it's like just like i the the, the media that i trust is like the transparency that the nba has built into like the press conference um like situation because I can't tell you how many times I see Dame his words twisted from an interview where he gave a very thoughtful answer and all people heard was, no, I'm not going to Miami or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it just like it, it they want to twist it into something that's inflammatory that people will click on that will that will fuel speculation. And like usually almost always there's a really reasonable explanation for what happened in front of a camera into a microphone. So as far as like, I guess like, the media that I trust is I guess I just trust the people who give me the most uncut uh, access to the players um, who don't, I don't know, pull pull crappy quotes. When as soon as I see a guy who's pulled a crappy quote to stick it in a headline so that everybody will click on it, I'm like, mm, no, shame corner, not clicking mm -hmm. on you for a while. I'm going to mute you for a month. Ramona Shelburne. <laughs> uh you know, it's funny you talk about the press conferences because I'm, I'm always conflicted on just from like the construction of it. It's knowing like from the reporters to the players, everyone involved hates them for understandable reasons. Because like you just got whether you won or you lost, it's a stressful situation. Everyone's packed into a room trying to get their question off. You know, everyone again, everyone's stressed and reacting to each other in front of cameras. So sometimes that makes tv magic a lot of times that makes a lot of frustration that also sometimes turns into tv magic but you know if you're trying to efficiently 
get people's thoughts after a game out there to the public, I understand why you do it. <laughs> but uh, that said, like when you talked about just uh, the process of elimination, because like I, I'll be honest, like I've I follow the toxic takeosphere slash people funded. Yeah, it's where I want to say this, but like people funded by different gambling operations coverage because that's a big thing and you know we talked about budget cuts earlier so even then i'm conflicted because of like okay what is journalists do need to be paid to cover things to get this coverage off and i don't know is DraftKings actually much worse than you know the doritos locos whatever thing i keep seeing i don't know but I also feel like I have to, you know, reverse engineer if I'm trying to like get to some truth in there where, yeah, I'll start with the inflammatory take or the meme or something. And then, like I said, yeah, look up the interview, you know, understand who is it this person, again, who pays this person, who or who pays this operation and what truth can I find out of that? And you, Terry, you mentioned Chris Haynes earlier. I One, just because he was, you know, a Portland writer for or a Portland doing the Portland coverage for a while. So I feel like just, I appreciate, you know, the familiarity and knowing him. And then I do also appreciate his coverage. And I think one of the, the side, just uh, all the Dame stuff, you know, we're in the space of speculation. There's, you know, just the very public negotiations happening through all these filters. And it's actually kind of funny to me in this part of, I don't know what's going to happen, but just, all the shots at Boston actually kind of amuse me because it's like in that, in the same way, and I did, I didn't like how the Grizzlies leaked the whole, we're not bringing Dylan Brooks back under no circumstances thing. That was wild. But on the flip side, I kind of like how the, the messaging of, yeah, under no circumstances is Dame interested in Boston. That just keeps coming through these stories. Nothing else is, seems very, you know, tight or defined, but the fact that you had to have Jason Tatum come on an IG live and be like, why do you hate Boston so much? <laughs> Just every chance there is to be like, Dame is not interested in Boston in like subtle, sometimes hilarious ways. It's just amusing. <laughs> do you have anybody else on your list that, that, that um, you like to go to for your blazer or um, NBA news? Ooh. You, uh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if it'll be again, maybe not so much news as just like the lead in point to look up the news. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, you know, I, like Bomani, on, that's such a good point. Yeah. The lead in point to look at the news because we've just, you two both just spent time talking about how all the extra work that you go to, <laughs> that mm-hmm. you have to go through to decide whether or not. <laughs> how to take what this thing was that you've already read anyway sorry Bomani <laughs> oh yeah so Bomani Jones who most known for his work at ESPN uh so like Dan Lebitard and so like the whole that whole crew out in Florida mostly again known for a long time ESPN person now Metal Arc Media and also part of that very much uh I don't know if it's DraftKings or one of the other ones but again part of this new landscape and what's funding sports coverage so you know again i go go there for the take sometimes i hate to admit it but you know sometimes i will watch stephen a smith just as like 
it's like visual coffee sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, you know, if I if I need some energy, like I'm not even paying attention, but you know, Stephen A. Smith would be very uh, let's just be screaming in the background about something. It's like, oh. Uh, other times it's just like I can't I can't do it <laughs> but uh so yeah okay oh, wait I have a question about Stephen A. Smith mm-hmm. did you watch his video after the Knicks were eliminated from the playoffs and he talked about how he wanted Damian Lillard I didn't watch that but he's also that's kind of like been his thing for a minute of just like trying to not subtly at all like appeal to try and get Dame to come to New York and I don't know I I like Knicks fans are funny to me <laughs> just in general. Like remember the beginning of the season, like bing bong, bing bong. This is, this is the year. This is the year. The Knicks have won three games in a row. Whoa. <laughs> so I, like, yeah, I, I highly recommend that video that he posted right after the Knicks were eliminated because it is so it's like, he took it on his cell phone of himself. It's so dramatic. And if you're in the right mood, it's like just high comedy. <laughs> and it's just like it's like i don't know it if you want to watch him for the entertainment value it's a highly entertaining video for like news though i'm with you it's like what can you possibly glean from Stephen a uh, you i feel like like some people do watch and like take try and take him seriously and i i don't recommend it personally but like if you're watching those guys as like pro wrestling characters, it translates, you know. <laughs> reality and, TV. Yeah. <laughs> wrestling is just reality TV for men. That's what <laughs> that's what I have come to appreciate. It's like that's what men's reality TV like, and it's been on TV longer than like Vanderpump Rules. Like, I had friends in high school that were like, oh, "I can't go out to tonight is raw." Yeah, and I'm like, I'm sorry. Like you can't miss your soap opera. Yeah, it's more like I would say it's more like a soap opera than like reality TV. Because the thing about reality TV is that it's actually reality. It might be like anyway, scripted, not gonna... edited. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I was gonna say is, Bruce, you've mentioned it a couple of times. Like, and I just I don't know how to feel about the fact that there's so much gambling money supporting the coverage of sports that just seems Mm. weird to me but like i guess they're the ones with all the money and it's are we just gonna have to like okay give over to that that's interesting Uh, a friend had brought this up to me because you know you see the like the advertising is just there all the time like it's not just commercials it's literally in the middle of the game let's talk about this parlay we have or are you gonna bet on this like throughout the game and it's one of those things where, like, I don't know, like, I'm I'm not a gambler, so I don't think about it as much. But then for asking me, isn't it isn't it weird that you have Charles Barkley of all people talking about what you know what play he's going to put a bet on in the middle of the quarter? Isn't that isn't that a little isn't that a little tasteless? And that's kind of what really made me think about it in terms of like, it's one thing if we have this again, if you look at who who's doing the advertising of all these games. Beer, fast food, insurance, beer, fast food, insurance, car, you know. So it's the entities with money. But like what are like all these institutions are, I guess, uh, like partners. 
and like what regulations are we putting on there because there's it seems just like completely unfettered right now in a way that again you have charles barkley very out there and i don't know if he's ever like said i actually have a gambling problem i think the quote was like i have the money to do it but it's you know if you just like look at it just a little bit it's just like this feels a little tasteless and kind of reckless so and we and we love nothing more than complaining about the referees in this context mm-hmm. oh yeah <laughs> and it's it's just kind of i don't know i haven't i haven't put the whole thing together in my mind to figure out what exactly makes me uncomfortable about uh, uncomfortable about it but it's just this is something weird and it's just um you know, during the pandemic, I had a week where I tried to learn how to gamble and I couldn't figure out how to make the apps work. And so I moved on. Maybe if I'd gotten really into it, <laughs> then I would have a different take, but it just didn't add that much to my um, in- enjoyment of, of the game. I wanted to talk about one more um, uh, sort of quasi-media thing that that I enjoy. And again, it's a podcast. I just love podcasts. I consume so much through my ears. That's just the best way for me to understand things. And there's one called the Basketball Illuminati. And I don't know mm. if you guys have ever heard about that. Um, it has uh, Tom Haverstrow, Amin Alassan, and um, Anthony Mays is like the producer of it. And what I like about it is it's, I mean, it's, it's funny it's you know they they talk about like conspiracy series or they like spin up their own conspiracy series but it they always go back to um trying to find out like where did this come from like if they're talking about a conspiracy theory their whole thing is to go like kind of what you guys have just just discussed go back to like where did it come from but they have like extra access um and they also look at it from like a sort of an entertaining point of view um so they'll go and they'll like you know, one of the things like when you're watching a game and they'll be like, this is the first time in 40 years that someone had 27, 5 and 12 in 34 minutes or less. And they'll go back and go, OK, that might be true, but should we care about that? <laughs> and I just I just appreciate them questioning, because when I what I tend to do when I hear something is like a hot topic is I'll just be like, I'm always like, huh? Like why are we talking about this? That's kind of like always my first thing is why are we talking about this? And like, should I spend any more time thinking about this? And I feel like they sort of approach things that way and they do all the hard work for me. So I can just (laughs) sit back and listen to them. I don't know if you guys have ever listened to that one, but I really like one, like it. So I I don't listen to that podcast, but like Tom and me, again, they do a bunch of stuff with the Levitar show, including they do a like they're probably my they do a post game for the finals so that's probably mm-hmm. like my favorite one because they're just it's a combination of analysis of the game but then also just random goofy stuff from literally like on being on the court post game so it's like you know you'll get analysis of whatever celebrities happen to be walking around when they were in when they were in denver amin was like heavy on like the altitude is not real it's a myth and then they'll just they literally pan out to have him try and prove it by running up and down the stairs <laughs> and pretending like he's not winded. They're like, okay, fine. I mean, say the alphabet twice. <laughs> Don't take a breath. It's just goofy stuff like that mixed in, but like, it, you know, so you get, like I said, you get the analysis, you get the fun with it. And 
Well, because their actual basketball backgrounds, acumens, obviously you get you get that as well. But yeah, so I haven't I've heard of basketball Illuminati. I've, I haven't checked it out yet, but I do enjoy their work in that regard. Well, and it goes back to like what we talked about earlier about the, they they just seem to enjoy it. And some, you know, I'm, we're not going to talk about the people that we, I don't want to talk about the people that I don't like. We've talked about, you know, going through processes of elimination, but I feel like there's some people locally who've been at it for a, like a really, 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 really long time. And I'm like, do you still like this? Like you seem, <laughs> you're, you're, you seem kind of miserable from your tweets. Mm-hmm. Um, And so when you watch a show like that, where people are clearly still having fun with it and like, they understand that it's it's a serious business it's a big business but it's also entertainment and and getting down to that and being able to like capture that in their coverage i i really appreciate i feel like does, that's what like rob perez does for a lot of people is like rob perez still really loves basketball even when he hates basketball he loves basketball and that's like really like i think that's that feels very relatable like and i wouldn't say i don't know i don't know you would call him like media press i don't know but he's like very he very much is involved in like the like the social media aspect of publicizing the NBA. Um, but he's still very much a fan. And like I I'll say I have a like a deep appreciation for the people who work in media that still love basketball and you can tell they love it and are still fans or who still love sports in general. I think that just like being able to still love the thing that you set out to do as a career and not like mostly be miserable, like Tara said, um, because you set your career path and you can't get off of it. Like I, I don't know. Like I, I just I, I'm, I really like like to follow the people that um, you could you can still tell that they love being a fan as well as being a writer, reporter, whatever. I love that mention, Rob Perez. I think Josiah Johnson's another one who kind of falls along that line. And that was one of the ones that actually also got me thinking about the role of gambling again, because again, Rob Perez is just like his stuff shows up in my feed and it's like, oh, I enjoy this. Oh, I like this. Let me share this. And then finally, I just like clicked on it and it's like something, something at underdog fantasy. I was like, oh, okay, that makes more sense. Because I think someone had made a, God, who's interview? Maybe it was on the Levitard show, but they were talking about the emergence of a lot of these guys who people mostly know on Twitter versus, you know, the traditional path. And to that point about just like loving the game and like still loving basketball, despite being the media, because I I think about these things again, that press conference, like if you are in that environment, I can understand how it can be hard to still love the game. If you are arguing with the players you cover, you know, ever after every game, I can understand how that could wear you down. So, like you said, I, when you see people who still enjoy this, even if it's like, you know, was it a mean was an executive? Now he's the media figure. It, I don't know anything about a mean personally. I don't know him, but it's not. It feels like he is enjoying this media role, right? It feels like that. That's what fit in. So, yeah, like I said, I love that. Yeah, just being able to have some fun with this, still get covering substance, having you know real conversation. But I feel like you said, like that. Uh, I don't know, that like that jumps off the page for people. 
Well, we should probably start to wrap it up here, um, but I appreciate this discussion. And um, yeah, please keep sharing things that you do like, because I'm always looking for new stuff. I'll stick with something for a while and then I'll kind of move on to something else and then I'll get into something else. But I'm sort of gearing up for the day that I can't handle Twitter anymore, which makes me so sad because there are so many things that I love about it, but it's already just not feeling the same, but I don't know what's going to replace it for me. Because if you want to get like live, active, random takes on a game while it's happening and make it the largest possible fire hose of stuff so you can find the good stuff, like I don't know what's better than Twitter for that. So if anybody has any ideas. <laughs> But we should probably, like I said, we should probably start wrapping it up here. Um, Rose, do you want to take us through our takes? Yeah. Okay. So it is June 11th. Uh, we talked a lot about basketball media today. Um, we're about to go into summer. We're about to go into summer league. The world is your oyster. So I'd love to know, you guys, what is your take today? Kara, do you want to start? Sure. I will start my take today, and I can't remember what my take was two weeks ago. <laughs> so if this is completely opposite, then, you know, whatever, things change. Been thinking a lot, of course, about the draft because it is coming up. And I think, I think the Blazers are going to use the third pick and they're going to the player on their team with it that is my take as of today it could change in another week <laughs> but as of june 11th i think the blazers are going to i think because i don't think they're going to need to i think they're going to be able to do accomplish what they've been trying to accomplish in terms of bringing a veteran with other means and then they're still going to be able to use their three so that's my take so you think that they're going to keep the three and they're going to make a big trade it's like trade ant or something they'll do something else okay with the 23rd, with the 43rd, with people, though, the, but they have they have multiple paths. And that I does don't not think it has to be the number three. That does not conflict with your take from okay. last time. Your <laughs> take somebody last, remembers. <laughs> yeah. Your take last time was that you didn't think that anything was going to be settled on draft night, mm -hmm. that we wouldn't know it was going to happen at all in any way, shape, or form. That was your take. Thank you uh, for remembering. <laughs> Bruce, what about you? What's your take today? So, I, I say this as, and granted, I haven't done a huge study, but from one or two G League games I've watched, I really, really like Scoot Henderson if he falls to three. Also, I think we should absolutely trade the pick and just go for it. Go for it with Dame. Let, you know, even if it does not work out, I feel like we have an obligation to arguably the best player in franchise history the guy who you know just a few months ago scored 71 points in a game that was fun to watch wasn't it why don't we keep doing this uh yeah just i think it's fun when the team at least goes for it sometimes it doesn't work out but maybe people have watched san antonio when you know when it's time to tank and go do that that time will always be there. I remember the early 2000s. Ah Sung Jin came to one of our practices. We 
we don't need to do that again. So, or we don't need to rush into that, I should say. We don't need to romanticize that because it doesn't usually work out. So I was going to say, I hope, obviously I don't have any inside knowledge, but I, I hope the Blazers try and do the 2008 Celtics move and hope for the best. All right. That's a I I I like that take because I think that it's something that we haven't seen here in Portland. Like we haven't seen like a big risk being taken. And my take actually was going to be something else, but now my take is kind of related to your take because I was inspired. And I think that if uh Jody Allen wants to spend a little money now to make a little money later and also earn herself some good PR she will give Joe Cronin the green light to spend and like go big because right now, like she's taking a lot of heat about this fictional Phil Knight trying to buy a team. That's not for sale thing, which by the way, like I don't think that that's the flex that he thinks that it is. It's just like, I'm trying to buy this thing that people are saying is not for sale and I want it so bad and I'm going to pay for it. I'm like, that's some entitled billionaire shit. excuse me you can edit that out but like i'm sorry that is like that that is that is like peak billionaire stuff i'm trying to buy something that's not for sale but i do think that she could take a big risk as a team owner as someone who everybody knows has to sell the team at some point um and try to increase the value of her team and sell it after with with maybe two big stars with some potential for, you know, being super competitive after the new TV deal is signed. And maybe it is good for her in PR today. And it's good for her to spend a little money today to make a lot more down the road. Cause a team with like two superstars on it, even if they haven't won a title together is a, is like, that's a, that's attractive. Like that's part of the reason why I think that they're never going to like really trade Dame until after the team has been sold like what you're going to sell a rebuilding team like that doesn't really make any sense anyway that's my take awesome uh, oh go ahead oh i was gonna say again we don't we're closing so we definitely don't have time for this but i will just say that the whole phil knight jody allen sort of like narrative that keeps kind of like brewing up represents pretty much everything i hate about sp- pro sports <laughs> just but again that's a whole different thing about what happens when it's time to either sell teams or renovate arenas how cities often get extorted and it's all bad for everyone but again that is a whole other <laughs> long conversation let's put a pin in that one because that uh when when it gets closer it would be really great to have a um a conversation with you with both of you guys who went through that whole research class and can bring all of the the research to understand like what may happen when uh when that actually when, when that actually takes place but for now bruce will you uh tell folks where they can find your work yeah so if you want to check out more of the interviews uh other content we've done at the bruce point set show you can go to youtube.com slash bruce point set we also broadcast the show every week at 7 p.m on the numbers fm so that's numbers with a z and it's a twitch.tv slash the numbers fm so again every week at seven 
youtube.com slash Bruce points at. And if you'd like to support the work and get access to exclusive content, as well as live discussions, you can uh, become a member at patreon.com slash Bruce points at. I've actually been doing more recently been doing just some analysis of this sports talk uh, atmosphere, whether it be, you know, covering interviews. They recently, again, uh, underdog fantasy did a, interview slash promotion of a potential jailblazers documentary so i go into that so yeah patreon.com slash bruce point said if you'd like access to that and you'd like to support my work some more awesome thank you so much for being with us today um really appreciate the discussion and uh yeah we could talk about there's a whole bunch more stuff we could have talked about but we're gonna wrap it up here and uh let's see what how do i usually take us out of here you can see it's been two whole weeks since i podcast reminding folks they can find the we have a take podcast at we have a take on twitter you can find me at tcb biggs on twitter you can find rose at rose l harding on twitter and let's see oh if you want to join the discord you can find the link to that in our show notes did i forget anything rose uh, I think you usually take us out with a song, don't you? Don't you usually oh. sing a song for us? <laughs> I don't think I do. I don't think I do. But that reminds me that we should thank um, Shoes and Hoops for our awesome and super cute uh, intro-outro music. Thanks, Eric. All right. Thanks, everyone. And go Blazers! Go Blazers!